Hi friends, just wanted to give you a heads up that the sound quality on today's episode is is not up to par. We had some problems, I had some problems with the microphone issue on the recording that I had with Dan Bennett. Wasn't aware of it until after we completed the recording. But the, the story that Dan shares from his life is so compelling, I didn't want to try to recreate that again. It was just a really, really important and very special time. So I hope you'll bear with us for the sound quality on this episode and hear the content. We'll do a better job next time. Thanks a lot. Welcome to the Learning to Thrive podcast, where we have real conversations with real people about real life. And now, here's your host and my friend, David Higginbotham. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Learning to Thrive podcast. I really appreciate you taking some of your time to invest with us here and to listen to the conversations that we have going on over the the various weeks that are coming out. The, the, the man that I'm talking with tonight is a, is a guy from many years ago, a, a dear friend that, uh, that, that is, who was a young man when I first met him. He was a, his name is Dan Bennett. Dan, thanks for joining us here on the Learning to Thrive podcast, buddy. I, I really appreciate you doing this. Oh, thank you for the invitation, David. It's just so good to see you again. Yes. A lot of good, good memories come flooding back. Yeah, we, we, so you'll know. Folks who are listening, we Dan and I spent some time catching up and on on some details of our lives. <clears throat> we were together. We we came together in the 1992. Wasn't it, Dan? You were yeah. Mm-hmm. You were in those days, but you were a young, fresh out of college guy. Yes, indeed. You and your wife in Huntington, West Virginia. Yep. And uh, we, I came to pastor a church plant there that you guys were a part of. And yep. you're just a special young couple, and Brenda and I really enjoyed getting to know you and Tangi while uh, while you were there. And uh, so, what had brought you were a guy that was from the Houston, Texas, Texas area, if I remember correctly. What, what took you to uh, Marshall? What took you to Marshall? What took you to? <laughs> well, yeah, I was born and raised in. Uh, I was born in San Antonio, Texas, and I lived for 17 years. Um, in the Houston area and also, you know, well, now in, in an area called Kingwood is where I spent the last uh, five years of my time in Texas. And then, but my parents were from the Eastern Shore, Virginia and Delaware, and they uh, they wanted to get back to their roots. They wanted to get back to family and things like that. So we were transplant Texans and uh, we were not native to that land and and so we we moved back but my father had to make a stop in order to get back to the tidewater virginia area he had to get go to go through west virginia so he had mm-hmm. his company was uh, dupont which is a big used to be a big name company and um they wanted him to spend a little time in west virginia so um i that's how i got connected with west virginia and ended up i went to texas a&m university uh, I was, I had no vision. I had no idea what I, I got really <laughs> lost in that big school, that big Aggie land down there. It's huge. It's it huge. huge. Yeah. Huge. So it was, it was 43,000 then. And yeah. I got out of the core cadets and I just, um, yeah, I just decided, I mean, I was homesick bottom line. So I moved back to West Virginia, went to Marshall, which is in Huntington, you know, right. Marshall university. And, uh, heard. 
Yeah, that's where I met my beautiful bride. And um, yeah, I had my first, uh, you know, encounter with the Lord and, at age 23, and we settled down and we got married. Um, and shortly thereafter, at, at age 25, I, I met, yeah, David and Brenda Higginbotham. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you and Tangie, you were so, you were great. You were so good. And I was, I, I was, of course, um, you know, much, much older and wiser in <laughs> in my early thirties, there myself. So it was. Uh, it was. It, we we were young uh, in ministry. Well, we had some experience in ministry, but we came to pastor this 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 uh, fellowship that you were a part of, and uh, had some interesting times there. And yes, then we were there for a couple of years. And uh, <clears throat> there's another story about this that we'll, we'll we'll talk about it some other another time when we can. But uh, we were there for a couple of years, and Dan and Tangy were a part of the, the the church there. And we actually, we were talking about this a little while ago, we actually closed that fellowship down. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was through a series of, uh, of circumstances, and uh, we ended up moving through a variety of ways back. We spent some time in Pennsylvania and then back to Kansas City. What happened with you guys after... Uh, after we left West Virginia, what happened with you? Well, in, in our world, there was a famine in, in the promised land in <laughs> West Virginia. I mean, I just could not find work. West Virginia mm-hmm. is a beautiful physical place, but there wasn't a lot of jobs there. So right. I packed up my uh, native uh, West Virginian uh, bride, and we yes. I got a job with the government, with the USDA. And at that time, I was... I was really heavily interested in a ministry called Morningstar Ministries at that time. And mm-hmm. um, this was back in mid-90s. And I, I was reading a lot. And this is how I was really being fed spiritually was a lot of their books and journals and, and tape ministry. Back then, we had these things called cassettes. Cassette tapes, yes. Yeah. Every so month, you get one. <laughs> the tape of the month came out, yes. And Absolutely, so yeah. I was listening to a lot of guys that you, you know, you were uh, influenced by as well from the Kansas City uh, ministry, you know, mm-hmm. guys like uh, Paul Kane and Jack yes. Deere and Mike Bickle and, yeah, a guy named Bill Johnson who's doing pretty well out there in Bethel and all these guys that were part of Morningstar. But I, anyway, so Tangie and I moved to a little town outside of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina called Monroe. And I began my work in with the USDA there. And we were driving like 45 minutes to attend Morningstar. And we, you know, we really enjoyed it. We really, it was an amazing place back in the nineties. And um, people from all over the world were coming to that ministry. And, um, yeah, the, the the leader Rick Joyner had a. It was very. He was an amazing gatherer of of people and um, resources. And uh, so we we spent about three years there. Um, and then um, in my life, um, I had a major crisis. I had I had a, a, an addiction to pornography that um, my wife found out about in 1998. And while we were there in Morningstar. I really didn't have a whole lot of relationships with people there. It was a very meetings-oriented based church, and, and um, so I call. I uh, my my wife found out about that with uh, the in, uh, the internet being new and, and things like that. Yep. I, I had yep. I had looked. Yeah, I, I had I'd had a problem with that 
In fact, you know, David is was the first person I ever talked to about that in West Virginia. But yes, um, I do remember that. Yeah, so I I actually called David. David has been my crisis go to guy <laughs> over the years. <laughs> so I pick up the phone after not talking to him for a little while, and I'm like, David, help! I am in serious trouble. I'm out on the front porch, and I don't know if I'm going to be invited back in. And mm. uh, so David helped me to, you know, got me connected with a, with a group of men that um, were really, really influential in our lives. These were men who, um, older men, for the next probably three to four years, I began um, living life with these with these three men and their families and a couple other guys that were twice as old as I was and right. just began to re- really pour into me in what we call, you know, a discipleship relationship. I mean, very intense discipleship. Sure. And, and so that's what we were, we, we spent a, or the last part of the nineties doing. And so these, these guys were very much about life on life connection. Yes. And very much focused on, um, my primary concern isn't to give you a new nugget of truth to, to to be able to memorize and to be able to spout back to me. My primary concern is to help you connect with Jesus in a deeper way so that your life can be changed. And that, yes. that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of uh, dynamic that that was ultimately uh, that they were working on, and that's good. So you you saw some. Uh, you saw some benefit from that, Dan. Was that something that was positive for you? Ab- absolutely. It was. It was. It was. It was really love and action. These guys. These guys. They called themselves apostles. Um, mm-hmm. In other circles outside the church, they would call themselves pastors. Pastors. Mm-hmm. You know, they were pastoring pastors. Right. Um, things like that, and they lived in this area because their family lived here, and so they right. had a traveling ministries from this place and. They really taught me a lot of life skills. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm very thankful for a lot of the, you know, I mean, literally balancing my checkbook, working on my car, you know, what, disciplining my children, um, you know, taking responsibility as the, as the husband. And, and, and these are th- things I, in my childhood, I, I pretty much, you know, parented myself. So I really needed um, nice. that I really needed that. And, um, so I'm very grateful, um, for those men, extremely grateful. My wife got a lot of benefit for that. And, uh, yeah, really met some they were great connections. Yeah. These guys were, um, there's a term that is used in some circles within American Christianity. And there's a, it, the term is fathers in the Lord. Yeah. Good term. They are yeah. older gentlemen. They are elders. They are men with a long track record of faithfulness and of maturity, not just in spiritual things, but in life as well. And these guys pour into younger men. Yeah. And uh, are there on a, on a week in and week out, life on life kind of dynamic. And uh, yes. that's, that's the thing that ultimately produces that, expression of God's growth in us, you know, that yes, it's yeah. divine and, and drawing from uh, perhaps a different understanding or a fresh understanding of scripture, because I'm hearing it through mature eyes and mature. Yeah. And yeah. helping me to understand some things. And so 
Uh, I've benefited from that type of engagement in the past as well. So I appreciate you mentioning. Yeah, they, they, he was one of the men that was truly, and I've introduced him as this. And, you know, we, we were very, uh, you know, known. He, I just call him my father in, in the faith. Yes. And, um, he, he really is outside of my father that, you know, is, is just down the road a couple hours away. I mean, this man is truly the second most influential man in my life. Yeah. So I'm for, I'm forever grateful for that time. And Dan, you mentioned a term that, that, you've attached to that relational dynamic you had there and that's discipleship. And uh, you had some kind of discipleship exposure in the past. How is what you had been exposed to in the past, perhaps different from this dynamic that you're talking about that happened there in North Carolina? Uh, this, the, the discipleship with those gentlemen was much more, um, involved it, it was it would be more of i mean it was literally living life together we we saw them weekly we went out for coffee we 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 i mean we literally lived life together i saw them talk to them almost um three to four times a week um they would come over i would come i would come over and they just instructed me i mean because i I did not know how to be a husband and a father, and I really didn't. And they would see things, and they would point them out. They would point out when my children were misbehaving, and I'm just running my mouth, you know, <laughs> oblivious. And so they taught me how to be responsible. They taught me how to love my kids, and you know, very good biblical teaching. I mean, and things like that. It was, um, it was, it was, it was very, very helpful. I've never had that type of hands-on life skill. Most of the discipleship I had been a part of was. You know, um, learning, you know, church skills, I, for lack of a better term, of how to how to how to teach, a, lead a small group, how to how to preach, how to use concordances and study the right. word and those kinds of lay hands and pray for people, lay right. hands on people. I mean, you know, and those kinds of things, how to do that. That was more of the discipleship I got. Which, which, which are not which are not bad things. Not at all. But but they don't really prepare you for life I exactly mean, that's, that's, yeah they prepare you for sunday morning yeah no there you go yeah okay that's good okay. yeah so you were there in monroe made a connection with uh some some people some gentlemen some older guys a group of them who were sowing into your life to use that metaphor they were yeah they were planting um and i'm sure all of that was just happy and uh, simple and easy and no challenges, no hard stuff. It was just uh, the phrase I use is blue skies and green lights, right? It was. It yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, when you use the term father and he truly was a father in the faith, that also implies a lot of, yeah, a lot of very hard, you know, hard times together as well. Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe even some uh, disagreements, you know, i.e. Uh, verbal fisticum and uh, things like, I mean, it was, it was, we had, it was a, it was a very close to a family dynamic. It got mm -hmm. emotional sometimes. Uh, we didn't agree with some of, you know, we felt, this, you know, it was kind of controlling or whatever. And, and I was being, you know, I was, you know, my flesh, it, you know, my, my uh, sinful nature was, was not enjoying some of the process when I, you know, because he was, he was putting his, some, his fingers and trying and point, you know, Seeing some things in my life that that really needed desperate change that I you know as a young in my twenties late twenties 
you know, going on 10 year old, you know, emotional maturity. I just, I fought, I rebelled against. And, and, um, so it was, it was very, it was very, uh, not volatile. That's way too up because it, overall it was a great experience. It, it just, it was, it was something I, I had never been a part of except for my earthly father, mm. you know, with his so, times at home. Well, it was frequently inconvenient. Yeah, very inconvenient. I he he had me, you know, meet him at like six o'clock in the morning for breakfast <laughs> after I got off night shift, and I would pray that he wouldn't show up. Every I would be, Lord, please turn off his alarm clock in Jesus' name, so he'll oversleep. Yeah, so I could go yeah. home and get some sleep. Yeah, because he he saw, I mean he saw a lot of worth in me and value, and he but he. <laughs> You know, he wanted to cultivate that and help me, and um, I appreciated that. And yeah, I just hear all his thoughts and every constantly running through my head his his sayings and his instructions. He had a lot of one liners that I yeah. that really blessed me today. Yeah, it does. But but his heart, his heart was for your well being. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 that's the way. That's the way we as earthly fathers are with our kids. Yeah. Sometimes our heart is for their well-being. Uh, we may not communicate it as clearly as we could, but our heart is for their well-being. Yeah. Now, he, he, tr- he truly loved me. I said sometimes the, the one who's hearing doesn't hear it as well as they should. No, no. No. The heart is is for you, and that's exactly yeah. He 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 sacrificially loved me so many times. Yeah, was there right. for me, you know, and those kinds of things. So he invested in your life, and then yeah, invested in your life in a special way. So yeah. So uh, let's let's move on. You moved into okay. season. Tell us about 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 that. Okay, yeah that that little that um, that ministry was known as Kingdom Quest, I believe it was, and it it, it ended up you know these the dismantling and and the three men uh, went their separate ways, and so Tangi and I uh, we you know the, we as the pillar of fire was moving by night, we packed up our tent and went to the next place. The Lord, we felt like the Lord you know stopped. Um, yeah, that was we met. We that was a short stop at another church, but we. Right after that, in about 2000, um, I guess that's 2002 or three, we went to a church that was, um, yeah, a, a new, a very diverse church in the city, probably 30% African-American. It was an amazing work of God, of, of the nations coming together at this church. And um, so we went, the, we began attending that church. Um, it was a small, what we you know they called us a, a small group based church. So we, um, you know, David and I were talking before this. I David really helped to impart a a desire for small group ministry in me, and I uh, was so excited to be a part of that this church because of that. And so we spent the next twelve years there, um, and it was a, it was a good time for us. It, we we, ra- we were raising our children who were five, ten, five to ten years old. It was a very happy time, very good time in my career. And we began to really uh, pour into families, and we had weekly home group meetings. And the Lord just really blessed our relationships there. It was uh, it, it was a it was a good time. Um, it it began to unravel though as as so you know I wouldn't say unravel but it 
then it came to a time where my personal life just started getting in the way of, of what I was doing. And, and it was bound to, because that, that is, you know, um, uh, when I, I just, I began to fall apart as a, as not emotionally, um, addictions began to rule and take over my life. And I had to step down. I I was, I had become an elder in the church and, um, I, I got out before I, I did any damage, which was really a blessing. Before an explosion. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, well, what, what was the, how, how did that, how did that begin to come to a head? Well, um, I had always, since I was probably 13 years old, had been addicted to pornography. Um, you know, I had had some sexual trauma in my childhood and um, exposure to that. And that, right. this is this is what began began the time of, of, of Dan Bennett putting on the mask and becoming, yeah. you know, this is when the mask came on. I would say around 13 or 14, um, feeling shame, feeling dirty, feeling mm-hmm. uh, unworthy to be light, mm-hmm. uh, inadequate and just in who I am to be an inadequate in what, in a, as a friend, as a boyfriend, as a whatever, it, it, that even in those teenage years. And I began to put this mask on and um, I, you know, I had, by the time I was in college, I had a, a big, I was, I was a big, I had a drug and alcohol problem in college. I had two DUIs um, by the time I was 21 years old. Um, and so at 23, when I came, you know, and, and invited Christ um, and, and professed my faith in Christ for the first time, there was a, it was a major encounter. It was, it was really real. It, I, I saw, I mean, the sky looked differently to me. I, I wanted to know this Jesus. I was, to, you know, wanted to know his word. And so, but I, I did something, I made a grave mistake in my, my relationship with the Lord. And it's something that I feel like you know, I look in the scriptures, I see that, that Rachel did the very same thing when she was leaving um, her father Laban's house. Mm-hmm. You know, he, she decided to take a couple idols uh, mm-hmm. that were belonged to her father, and she stuck them <clears throat> under her camel saddle there. And um, she was going to take some other gods into the promised land. And I did the same thing. I, I took my coping uh, mechanisms with me in, in my walk with Jesus. Um, which is not a wise thing to do. And I, I took I took drugs and alcohol and pornography in because even by the time I was 23, I felt like I needed these to, to cope and even to live. I couldn't live without these things. These mm-hmm. were truly my gods. And I, um, I hid them from my family. I hid them from my wife. My wife um, was, was blindsided. Um, by them in our marriage, and um, it was something that it that that ended up unraveling even till till last year. So I just basically compartmentalized right. one area of my life, you know, with addiction, and then mm-hmm. pretended, you know, to put a, this this face on what I thought was the perfect Christian family and, and right. trying to be the best Christian I could uh, project to, to, to my relationships. Right. And it, because there's a, 
there is an unspoken, there's an unspoken belief within modern Christianity that says if you can if you can look good and you can act good and you can talk the talk, that'll make up for a lot of not being able to walk the walk. And there, our our focus has been on the externals. Yeah. And the you know there's a, there's a passage of scripture that talks about you know man looks on the outside but God looks on the heart. Yes. The if you can learn to manage your brokenness and keep it intact and keep it at bay, so to speak, then you can get by. And exactly. The kind of thing that you you had, uh, were doing it to, to survive. I mean, the, the brokenness in your life that leads to that type of addiction and that feeds into that type of addiction doesn't go away simply because you become a Christian. No. It does. Absolutely. And if, if there isn't a, a, a clear way to address it, then um, it's, it's, uh, it, it always leads to this type of conclusion. And one of, the, one of the tragedies of my own ministry over the years is not understanding the reality of the brokenness of the people of God in the church. And I had been raised up with this kind of thinking as well. It's, it's we got to look good. Now, the, 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 on the, we're not pretending to be good. We just have to look good. And that eventually catches up with us, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I loved God. I loved the word. I love to read the word. I love theology. But those phrases like turn away from evil, I didn't like so much. I didn't like, uh, you know, um, I did the doing of the word was something that that was too, was inconvenient, not inconvenient, but it was painful. And I, mm. I, I, I like the softer, easier, gentler way. And sure. uh, I was what I had a view from my Christian experience that God was going to quote break addiction off of me, right. or it was going to be cast out that I was mm-hmm. going to wake up changed that mm-hmm. certainly this promise keepers meeting. Once I go up to the altar yeah. Um, I'm going to come away a new person. And from my experience, that didn't work. Now, I'm not discounting prayer. I'm not discounting sure. deliverance, any of those things. But, you know, for, to, to, to grow up, you know, and, and, and addiction is, is a, to me, is, is I'm learning, is an, is an immaturity issue. It's an mm-hmm. issue of, of uh, you, know, a, you know, a really underdeveloped emotionally and and I got you know the maturing process is not something that that is delivered from or you know or you know right. changed overnight. This is a day to day, right? You know, facing life on and you know without those addictions and, and with the Lord. And I I did not know that. And the and the addiction is used to soothe the pain that I feel that is still there because the brokenness that's beneath it is true. absolutely. And the yeah. shame that comes from that um, is pervasive. And I, I not only feel guilty for this thing that I've done after I said I wouldn't do it again for the 500th time. Right. I, I have, I, I'm embarrassed that I did it. I feel like a failure. But the shame that, that comes in tells me that I'm, I not only did a bad thing, but I'm a bad person. Yeah. And, and it's not just the guilt and the shame combined together. And, 
we we have been we've been lied to within American Christianity so much about the nature of our relationship with God. We've been lied to about sin, and we think that God is stomping around in heaven looking for something to throw, and the angels are scattering to the other parts of the universe to get away from him him having this tantrum over me once again, failing him. Yeah, yeah right. We believe, we believe that myth, and that puts yeah. a weight on you, Dan. It's a huge weight. Yeah. I, yeah, I had, I, I just kind of, yeah, I tried to, I, I basically, you know, I, I knew, I knew in my brain, you know, God was a God of grace, but in my, in my heart, you know, I, I, I looked at God, I, I tried to serve God as I would serve my earthly father, yes. who, who, we when I, do. yeah, you know, and, and it wasn't a conscious thing. I was, mm-hmm. you know, this is something that, that I was, you know, trained, you know, was out of the womb. How my father would. So, yeah, so I, 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 con- I subconsciously, when I was serving the Lord and I, when I was seeing success in ministry, I felt close to God. Mm-hmm. I, I there, but there was always this disconnect because of my addictions, because of my, my, my darkness, this secret life that I had, you know, th- that I knew I was a million miles away too. And, and mm. so, but it, it, it Addiction is 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 something that is, is is way more. It will take you way farther than you want to go, and it will call, and you will pay way more than you ever intended. And sure. um, it just it just it it became unman. My life became out of control. Um, you know, I I I began in, at age forty. I, I brought I had the bright idea of convincing my wife, you know, <laughs> to let's have a bottle of wine on special occasions or. Let's let's um, you know, and I and I let's let's have some on, on a on a Saturday night or something, and you know we we began to do that unfortunately, and we had a seven year period where we really just began to isolate and go into a wilderness time of of, of where alcohol for me consumed my life. Um, it became a mental obsession, and um, at the time we really really regret. And, um, um, it, we, I basically was just trying to hold on to my marriage. I was trying to hold on to my children. Yes. Uh, I, it, ministry was long gone at this yeah. point. Yeah. That, that horse has left the barn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now I, I still was faking it though. I still was in the church. I was still going to church. Um, still up there praying for people on Sunday mornings and, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a hypocrisy show of the first kind. I'm like, which adds, that? which adds to the guilt. Yeah. And adds to the shame. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, yeah, my, my, um, and, until, you know, then until my wife about six years ago said, that's it. No more. I'm, I'm, I didn't sign up for this way of life. You know, I'm, I, I don't like the mother I am. I don't like who I am as a person and, and I'm done. And, um, she was able to stop. Um, I was not, I didn't want to stop addiction. I was now, um, one of the things, one of the things we, in, 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 in addiction is this mental obsession with the object of your addiction. Sure. And I was at morning and I, I couldn't, I had to have my alcohol. I had, I didn't feel normal unless I had it in my system. 
You know, right. most people. Yeah, that's how I was. I I was un, I was miserable until I had it in my system. So I began to drink um, in secret. I began to drink at at work. Um, I began to do everything I could to um, keep this keep keep going. Keep you know my addiction alive. It was an awful awful time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how did that ultimately? come crashing down well um my wife i guess you know one of the things is i she just was discovering i was trying to sneak this again she's trying to protect the the reputation of our family um whatever that was and Mm -hmm. you know we my kids didn't even know about it i was drinking in secret um they probably wondered why i was taking a lot of naps in the afternoon Um, (laughs) but uh i I, um, she was, but, but she would catch me. She would catch me. And, um, I, the, the obsession, the, the thing with addiction is in my experience was it, the desire for it got stronger and stronger and stronger to what I was willing. It, it, it took me to, I mean, I'm so scared to think of the power that it had in my life because I, I thought I had to have this to live. That's one of the things addictions tells you is it goes into the part of your brain where of uh, the survival part of your brain where um, right. it, with food, clothing and shelter and air, there's alcohol, there's right. drugs. Yes. And this is why this is why people will 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 go go f- and live on a park bench and lose their families and everything because they have to have this to live at this point. Right. And I That's got to that stage. That. Yeah. Yeah. I got to that later stage of it where. I didn't, I was willing to, I was, you know, I was going to lose my family. And, um, finally, um, I ended up, my wife, you know, gave me an ultimatum. I mean, either you go to treatment or, um, you, you don't, you know, you are, are, we're, we're done. And I began, you know, as, as she caught me drinking, I began to take pills. I was, I was now a full blown junkie. I mean, I was just taking pills, everything I could get my hands on to escape the way I felt that, you know, that shame, that guilt, that, that hatred, that self-hatred of who I was, I, I couldn't stand to feel sober. I had to, Mm. to, to, Mm. to change the way I feel immediately. And I began to destroy my brain. I began my, I began to develop what was in 1917, what's called toxic psychosis, Mm. where I was, I began hallucinating I went into a stranger's house thinking it was my own. The police came and four sheriffs threw me down on an ottoman and handcuffed me. And I thought I was in my house. My wife went to the emergency room numerous times with me. I was tremendous hallucinations. I got, I was thought my mind, you know, talking to my mom, looking for my mother and who was thousands of hundreds of miles away. And I just put her through, you know, just the 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 damage, the trauma that that addicts put their families through is is uh, is horrible. It's just absolutely horrible. You know, we're we're committing suicide, but yet we're destroying yes. the, the family you know around us who love us and care for yes. us. They're not only self destructive. The that that action and that mindset is is family destructive as well. Absolutely, it absolutely. destroys you. It's destroying the people who love you. Although you yes. see that. Yes. 
So, yeah, so I, in, in last year at this time, I entered a treatment facility, um, and it was my, you know, what I call my current rock bottom. Now, I hope I, hope <laughs> I never go any lower. I certainly yes. have decided to throw the shovel out of the hole. So, right. I'm not yes. doing any more digging for rock, more rock bottom. Um, and it was, it was life-changing. It's the most traumatic, most painful, by far, experience of my life because this mask that I had been wearing um, came ripping off. <laughs> I mean, it was, you talk about not having, you wearing a mask for 40 years to, not, to being naked, vulnerable, transparent before the world and everybody knowing mm. you're not Billy Graham Jr., my friend, you're, you're in right. a treatment center, you know, you're a drug addict and alcoholic. Right. That's a tough right. thing. That was a tough, that was, uh, to, to wrap my head around, that was really tough for me. Mm. And, um, uh, it's, it's been an amazing, but the experiences, the, the, the love of God being with me in that valley of the shadow of death, you know, it was beautiful. He was so loving and so kind and so gentle with me. It was just an amazing, you know, I, I would have never seen God in this way. And it's truly, I truly feel born again, like a brand new Christian. I feel like I've been saved, even though, you know, I, I mean, right. I, I was, God chose me before the foundation of the world, working right. that out now. You yes. Know? You yeah. know, so I, but I, this is now I feel like I'm able to develop and cultivate an abiding, you know, relationship with the Lord that's not just help me, Jesus. Right. That this is, you know, one that's in the light where I can have fellowship with you right. and with one another because I'm walking in the light. And you, you've, you've moved, you've moved into a different season. Um, yes. And that, that season is an ongoing thing that's going to go for uh, longer. Yes. You're at a, a different place, but the, the newness, the newness of what you're experiencing and the vitality and the freshness of what you're experiencing is restorative. You're being restored in your mind. You're being restored in your body. Your soul is being restored. And that, that, that's an ongoing journey that's going to be going for years and years to come. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, the, indeed. Yeah. So that, the thing, I, Dan, listen, I didn't know about this. Yeah. Whenever I called you, when I began to think about this project that we're working on, the podcast, the Learning to Thrive podcast, I I didn't know any of this about you. We hadn't talked in a number of years. Right. Last time we talked, it had been about teenage daughters. And yeah, that's right. What was going on with uh, the daddy and the daughter thing and boys. And that was the nature of our conversation. I had no idea about what was happening. So. You know, and you and I talked about this earlier before we started recording. <clears throat> I didn't reach out to you so you could tell this story because I didn't know this story existed. Right. Yeah. I reached out to you because you were one of the folks that was on my heart about this. And even though we've been apart for many years and only occasionally have been able to connect at any significant degree, uh, you and Tangi uh, and Kylie at the time, when she was just. That's right. You guys were just a real special part of our heart at that season in our lives. Yeah. Have a connection to that and concern. So um, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you being willing to open up as a continuing part of that process. Okay. A continuing part of that journey 
is to say, no, I'm not a superhero, by the way. I don't wear a cape and I don't look good in tights. Uh, I'm just, I'm a guy. As a matter of fact, I'm a guy who struggled with addiction. I mean, I'm a guy who struggled with pornography. And those are not the kinds of things that people really love to hear about someone. You know, that makes me uncomfortable. I just, oh, and they try to avoid those conversations, which is why I think it's really important for us to have them. Yes, I I, I agree. I think, uh, um, yeah, authenticity in, in, in conversation and relationships is what I long to have for as a man who loved the mask, loved the superficial, right? you know, loved the, loved the religion, but you know, I now long for something that I've never had, and that's intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. Mm-hmm. Well, you're on the road. You're on the road to discovering that in an ever increasing way. And yeah, something that is, I think, is just really a part of what God's doing in you, and learning how to be okay, just being okay. That it's okay to be okay. Because the, the, the truth is that you are now and always have been completely and fully loved by God. Mm-hmm. There's never been a time in all the struggles that you were having there. There's never been a time in that when God didn't love you completely and fully. Nothing's yeah. going to change that. Even though our experience will tell us something other than that. The truth yeah. is, he's always loved us that way. Yeah, and I see that. I see I see his I see his discipline and I see his correction. Oh, but sure. I, as I as I look back in, in my life, I see that as a major expression of love. Absolutely. I, and I, and I see I see now how he's always loved me, even in in my rebellious most. You know, mm-hmm. he he. You know what? It didn't catch him off guard. You know, no. it really did. It affected mm-hmm. our relationship, of course. But it never affected uh, it. You know, his love for me was was constant and i and i can see that and now and and looking back as i as i unpack and process my life and try to discover who i truly am you know who is who is this you know this guy apart from addiction and um who you know without a mask i see the love of god throughout the whole time i really do man you're a guy who who you're the kind of guy that that churches tend to really want to reach out and grab hold of and bring into uh, their structures. And you're that kind of guy who can become a leadership individual in the church. I mean, you've got that personality and those types of things, but you're also that guy who, who when being groomed and brought into those places, that, that eldership and that life group leader and those other kinds of things, you were able to maintain, you were able to maintain that look with the masks that you wore and having been through the journey where those masks were unceremoniously ripped from you, and you came to grips with the reality of that, and now you're, you're in that, that, that phase of the journey where you're coming out of that and discovering new things about yourself and new things about God. Let me ask you, when you look back on that, what, what have you learned about yourself along the way, and what have you learned about God? Mm. You know, I guess, I, I mean, for me, it was how little through my life I've really known who I was, mm. I, you know, not having an identity, um, mm. um, how, 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 how deceived I was, how, 
Um, how I never really, I just, I, I, ne- I lived a, a very unexamined life, mm. you know, I mean, as I, yeah, I really just kind of went through life, you know, with going after the pursuit of happiness and what mm. I thought was happiness, which was really a pursuit of pleasure, a pursuit of it, of, uh, of mm. selfishness. And right. I, you know, now I'm I'm really, really trying to study and learn about where who I was, where I, you know, and you know where, what 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 I was, you know, what it was like then, who I was, and where I'm am now, and where I want to go in the future. And so, um, God has has been something that's just been the most beautiful, beautiful constant. He, you know, I've just I've just seen. I, the love of God and the and the grace of God have just exploded, in my, you know, in my life because of of, the, of this year and how mm. He has worked in my family, worked in in reconstruction and healing in my family. And believe me, we have a long way to go, and that's a of long course. way to go. I mean, so it's there's a there's a that's another good conversation in in, that, in itself as well. But um, I just, yeah, the, the tender father heart of God, I, mm. I've seen, I just saw throughout my lowest moments and, you know, what was, you know, life, some of life's greatest moments. You know? mm-hmm. That's really good. The, you know, one of, the, one of the phrases that Jesus, statements that Jesus made was the, the one who has, this is my, the Higginbotham translation of the <laughs> Jesus phrase. The one who understands how forgiven, how, how much they've been forgiven. The one who understands how big the forgiveness is, how much they've been forgiven. That one loves much. Yes. They haven't been forgiven. Oh, I, I'm a good guy. I, you know, I, yeah, we're not perfect. None of us, <laughs> but I never killed anybody, so I, I'm okay. I, you know, you know, yeah. one who knows they've been forgiven much, that one knows what it means to love much. Yeah. Who doesn't know that they've been forgiven much, they don't really know how to love that much. And I, that's the, mm. that's what I kept hearing come up in my heart when you were talking about yeah. the gratitude. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that. David. That That is a beautiful thing. The gratitude of where I was. And, you know, where he's brought me, you know, um, you're right. The, 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 the forgiveness and the gratitude that I have for God is, is, is it just, it would brings me to tears almost every time of how grateful I am in his constant abiding love through the all, all 40 some years of this journey so far, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's constant. It really mm-hmm. is. And yeah. I just, I, I'm going to wrap this up because okay. we've talked a long, a long time here. But we we'll, we're going to follow up with other conversations, and with maybe you and Tangie sometime we could talk. Yeah, about we. I would love it. I would love the journey, and but we'll be talking again. But I, thank you so much for for opening up and sharing your journey with us, and being able to share about the what were the good times, and then what was beneath that, and how that came to a to a crashing halt and out of the, out of the smoke and out of the chaos and out of the brokenness that God is, is restoring and bringing yes. you into a new season. And, uh, we just really, we, we just bless the Lord for that. I want you to know we appreciate it. Yes. Until we have a chance to talk again. I just want you to know, brother, God bless you. I love you. And, uh, 
Until next time, buddy. Godspeed to you and your and your precious bride and your lovely daughters. Thank you so much, David. It's been great being with you. It Thanks again great. for the invite. Till next time. Thank you for choosing the Learning to Thrive podcast. We hope you have been encouraged. Please check the show notes where you can learn more about today's episode. Give us a rating, tell your friends, and join us again next week. Together, we are learning to thrive.